0: So as as you could probably kind of guess, uh, the message I'm giving you today has changed a little bit as as the week went on, uh, especially in the last couple of days. Like I said, as I was getting this started, I didn't exactly plan to be preaching from my comfy chair in my slippers with a cup of tea over Facebook, uh, but that's that's just how things go sometimes. And I know that that there is. There's a lot of fear and panic going around our world these days. One of the things I think maybe has been particularly challenging is that for most of us, it seems that the best course of action has been mainly defensive, right? Just stay put as much as possible. Don't go to too many places. And that can so easily feel like, like it's defeatist, like, but let's just check our attitudes. Remember, we can, we can stay put and just stay where we are out of fear that, that is a thing we can do right oh my goodness we're all it's going to kill us all now that's highly unlikely and i just want to remind everyone of that the alternative is that we can stay put out of care and out of love we can stay put so we minimize how much vulnerable people might be affected by this sickness that's going around we can stay put to minimize the spread of it so that our hospitals don't get overrun now we can pray for nurses and doctors. And I know we have people in our community who will be on the front lines of this. So we can stay put in a spirit of caring for our neighbors and loving one another. I mean, it might seem like it'd be more heroic to to do something, but scripture frequently reminds us that sometimes the best thing we can do is just wait on God and trust him, that he's faithful and that he's good. Today, in the text we're going to be looking at, we find Jesus faced with a temptation to do something spectacular, to prove his faith in God and God's faithfulness to him. And the resounding conclusion when we look at this passage and all that's going on beneath the surface is that we don't need God to prove his faithfulness because he's already proved that he is faithful. We just need to trust. I'd like to just open up again to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus' second temptation today. Matthew chapter four. Normally we stand for the reading of our sermon text for today, but if I stand, uh, my face is gonna go out of frame. Uh, You can stand at home if if you'd like to do that out of tradition. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test." This is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. So last week we looked a little bit about Jesus' temptation as, as a whole, um, at why he went out into the desert, and his first temptation in particular, which had to do with the desire for comfort, or the temptation to take care of himself and avoid suffering. And we also looked there at how the devil twisted God's words, even in his initial appeal to tempt Jesus, right? We looked at how God the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the devil, when he approached Jesus to tempt him, just said, if you are the son of God, left off the part about being his beloved son, left off the part about his mission on earth to do what would please the father. However, Jesus successfully resisted the temptation by properly using God's word. Now, in the second temptation, the devil tries to beat Jesus at his own game. Uh, So Jesus explicitly quotes scripture in response to the devil, and then the devil counters by attempting to do the exact same thing. He takes him to the top of the temple in Jerusalem, whether that's in a vision or in reality, we're not quite exactly sure. But he says, if you're the son of God, again, but then he adds the words of scripture, for it is written, You see the craftiness there? You see, you see the subtlety that he's doing? It's kind of like, oh, we're playing the scripture quoting game, are we, Jesus? I can do that too. So the temptation seems to be for Jesus to prove himself by trying to force God to prove himself. It's still Jesus' identity as the Son of God that's called into question, but at a deeper level, it's God's faithfulness to Jesus that's really being called into question. This is just so crafty here. Do you see that? The, the devil even quotes a promise of God from the Bible in order to make this temptation. A promise from God from the Bible that the Lord will protect those who trust him from danger. And friends, this is so important. We need to look not just at these little snippets of a verse in in isolation, and not just when we're tempted, whenever we're reading Scripture. We need to look not just at things in in little snippets in isolation that can so easily be taken out of context, turned to mean something that that it wasn't uh, originally intended to mean. It's so crucial that we understand the whole of this passage. And so, as I said at the beginning, Uh, we're going to actually read through Psalm 91. Uh, As I said in in, uh, Facebook message uh, just last night, uh, Psalm 91 has been uh, one that I've been really taking a lot of comfort from in these days, and I think it would be good for us if we'd been, I was already planning, if we'd been gathering together for worship this Sunday. I, I think it would have been very appropriate for us to read this, maybe responsibly, maybe all together, But I would encourage all of you who are listening at home uh, to get out your Bibles or however you have that on your devices, uh, on your phones, paper copy, and we'll read together Psalm 91. So I'll read it. Perhaps it'll seem a bit slow, um, but I want to give everybody time uh, to actually follow along and, and read aloud. Read to your family. Maybe have the kids read along with you if you're watching as a family. Uh, whatever whatever your your situation is but let's read this together um, and even if we don't actually physically hear one another reading this uh, this still presents an opportunity for us to proclaim god's truth to one another so psalm 91 i'm reading from the ESV um, but uh, you can follow along with another translation or or uh, or with that if that's what you have in front of you Psalm 91, and let's read this together. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place the Most High who is my refuge no evil shall be allowed to befall you no plague come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone you will tread on the lion and the adder The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now you probably caught... In that, uh, the little bit that the devil quoted to Jesus in this temptation, and we'll we'll spend a little time exploring exactly how that works. Because I mean, this is clearly a passage of Scripture that that offers protection and deliverance for the one who trusts in God. As some of these some of these even sound pretty spectacular, right? Like deliverance from from plagues, protection from ferocious animals, and protection from from accidents. Course, right there in the middle is the passage that the devil quotes. God will send his angels to protect you from injury. But let's think about this. Is, is, is this psalm really saying that we should let let's test this out and and see if it's actually true? Is that really going to be a good strategy? Well, we know in regular life. That that's not a good strategy, even just for day-to-day activity. In some sense, you probably trust that. If your car is equipped with safety equipment like airbags that might protect you in an accident in a crash but you don't drive your car at hundred kilometers an hour into a light post just to see if those airbags are going to prevent you from injury if we fly on an airplane we probably at some level uh, trust that the oxygen masks if they drop down would protect us if the cabin got depressurized but but we don't Tell the pilot, hey, why don't you depressurize the cabin? I just want to see if these work. That's not how we live our day-to-day life. And likewise, this this isn't a good strategy for for a life of faith, in a spiritual sense, either. No matter how spectacular the results might be. Let's look a bit more closely at a couple of important parts of Psalm 91. Specifically, the beginning of the psalm, and the end. I think it's really bookended in a way that provides some really important context that will help us understand how we should rightly apply this versus how the devil was trying to get Jesus to wrongly apply this. So the beginning. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And then at the end. Because he holds fast to me, and this is important, in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is painting for us is a picture of, of a relationship of ongoing trust and commitment and and this is what the devil always wants to steer us away from whatever he's tempting us toward it might look like there's great faith involved it might look like this makes a great deal of sense it might look like this is a good end and so it justifies the means but whatever he's going to do he's always going to try to turn us away from god's love for us from our love For him, our love, for one another as God's people. You know, what this passage certainly doesn't paint a picture is me trying to prove myself by insisting that God prove himself. The trust in this passage is already assumed. It assumes that God is completely trustworthy, and it assumes that because of that, we should just walk and live in obedient and faithful trust of him. But you see what the devil is trying to do here. On, on the surface, it would seem like he's trying to pass this off as great trust in God, right? You know, Jesus, if your relationship with your father is is that strong, this shouldn't be a big deal at all. Just step off And uh, he's going to catch you. No big deal, right? If your relationship's so strong. Faith, right, man? Actually, it's quite the opposite. He's tempting him to to try to prove what should already be trusted. That's how temptation works. It it delivers you the opposite of what it promises you. It, It works in the opposite way. It reverses everything. The temptation always turns into the opposite what it's promising. The devil might try to make it look like this is about extreme trust in God, but actually it's about extreme lack of trust in God. Right? Whatever the devil might say, the logic runs something like this. You can't actually be sure God is trustworthy in the present, and you can't actually be sure Of where you stand with him in the present or the future for that matter but if he would just do something to prove himself then maybe you could trust him in the future however when we look at scripture we get a very different picture of how trusting in God works very different scripture says we actually can be sure that God is trustworthy in the present and that we can actually be sure of where we stand with him because he has already done something spectacular to prove himself in the past. And so we should trust him now and we should go on trusting him into the future. Once again, Jesus responds to the devil's misuse, improper use of God's word, of scripture with proper use of God's word. This is going to take a little bit of digging. So get your metaphorical shovels out so we can dig down a few levels into God's Word. We've already dug down uh, into Psalm 91. Now we need to dig down into Jesus' response, which is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So when Jesus says, It's also written, Satan, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's from a very important chapter from Israel's scriptures, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy in the first temptation that we looked at last week as well. Um, as we looked at when, when we went back to Deuteronomy, this is, this is Moses' last chance to address the people of Israel. Right? They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're on the edge of the promised land now. And most of the first generation that came out of Egypt has died in the wilderness. Moses is not long for this world either. He's going to be leaving the people and not going into the promised land with them. So this is his last chance to exhort this new generation of Israelites to, to get it right this time. Don't be like your fathers who rebelled in the desert. Don't make the same mistakes. And above all, don't forget What the Lord has done for you. Over and over and over in Deuteronomy. This is the message. Don't forget. Remember. Don't forget. Remember. Over and over and over. Constant refrain in the book of Deuteronomy. Don't forget what the Lord has done for you. So the fuller context of this quotation is. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. As you did at Massa. So now we've got. Jesus quoting another Old Testament book, which references yet another part of Israel's story. So this alludes back to Exodus chapter 17. I told you we were going to have to do some some digging into the word here. That chapter tells the story of how the people of Israel came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, were spectacularly delivered in that, of course, and then they spent some time in the desert, and they ran out of water after some time out in the desert, and they got thirsty, really thirsty. I mean, water is an essential element for life, so you can kind of understand that this isn't just an inconvenience. This is a real life-threatening issue that they're facing, but not only did they get thirsty, they got angry, like really angry, and then they said that God didn't love them, and then they said that they couldn't trust him. And then they said that God just brought them out into the desert to kill them all of thirst and starvation. And then they were going to kill Moses for bringing them out of Egypt. Right? This is bigger than that they just got thirsty and, and a little worried and a little panicky. This was this was full-on renouncing their faith in the Lord and demanding that he do something to prove himself or else. Or else what? I don't quite know. They... Moses said they were preparing to kill him. So that was probably step one. Like I said, water is an essential for life. They were were facing a real life or death situation. And you can understand that people make poor decisions when they're deprived of the necessities of life. So I think this is kind of relevant for what's going on in the world today. Thankfully, most of us are not at this point facing something that is truly life or death for us personally. But there is a lot of fear out in the world today. The situation is, is uncertain. It, it could be dangerous. It, it could be that we're in for quite a rough ride in terms of where we are right now with this illness that's going on. So we can maybe understand a bit better than we would at other times of what Israel was going through and how maybe they were feeling, what it's like to be fearful. Except, think about where Israel was at. Only a short time before they were rebelling on the other side of the Red Sea. The Lord had made a smoking wasteland out of the most powerful nation, empire, on the face of the earth. Maybe ever. Egypt was a civilization that lasted for millennia. Very, very powerful nation. And the Lord leveled that nation so that his people could go free. And and to put the last nail in that coffin, he parted a huge body of water so that his people could walk through and be free finally. And then not only that, he brought that water back on whatever was left of Pharaoh and his army to drown them. And even at this point, When they are so worried about whether the Lord's going to provide them, he's already started to feed them with miraculous manna, miraculous bread from heaven. And this is what Deuteronomy 6 is getting at. Look down just a few verses from from the one Jesus quoted. Moses, again, reflecting on the next generation of Israelites, urging them not to make the mistake that their fathers did on the other side of the Red Sea, right? Again, 40 years have gone by. This isn't the generation that came out of Egypt anymore. This is their descendants. And Moses is saying, don't be like your fathers. He reminds them, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. Again, God had already proved himself faithful to Israel, faithful and trustworthy, and he had proved himself to be that multiple times to his people. Now, certainly, lacking water in the desert was serious, but this kind of what-have-you-done-for-me-lately attitude that Israel showed in Exodus chapter 17, and that Moses was warning the next generation off of in Deuteronomy chapter 6. That, what have you done for me lately attitude, certainly was not appropriate to God's people. God had already done everything to prove that he was worthy of trust now. The desire for yet one more proof didn't stem from faith. It wasn't a legitimate need for confirmation. It was a lack of faith. And once again, back to Jesus in the desert, we see that Jesus succeeds where Israel failed. Jesus gets it right when he's out in the desert. Since we're hanging out in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think it's essential that we look up to the top of the chapter, if you have your scriptures with you, Look at what it says there. Famous words. Foundational words for Israel's life and worship. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall, what does it say? Relate to the Lord your God on a quid pro quo basis? No, it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Friends, this right here is the whole ballgame. I hope that our series throughout January and February on loving one another was meaningful to you. It, it certainly was meaningful to me as we looked at how God's love for us is revealed to us in Jesus and how God's love for us then flows out to one another. In some ways, it was such a simple message to be reminded of. But that was kind of the point. And I think that's at least why I found it very, very meaningful. And I hope that you did as well. I would say it was probably one of one of my deepest times of engagement and just soaking in Scripture. Really clarified, really clarified a lot of things for me about what's ultimately important as followers of Jesus. Here's what I think it all boils down to as it relates to facing temptation. Most, I kind of said this earlier, most of the temptations that we're going to face, that the devil is going to push on us, throw at us, send our way, our temptations away from this kind of love. The devil tempts us to doubt God's love for us and that either God needs to prove his love to us before we should trust him, or that we need to prove to God that we love him, or failing that, maybe we just need to try to prove ourselves before others. We see, this has been the pattern all along, right? Right back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did, did God really say that? I don't, I don't think God actually Loves you guys. He's keeping. He's, he's holding out on you. He's not really worthy of your trust. Think again of, of Israel in the wilderness. God's not really trustworthy. He doesn't actually love you. Brought you out into this desert just to kill you. And that's how we're tempted to to question whether God really loves us. And once that's questioned, we start to question our whole relationship with him. Do If he doesn't love us, do we really love him? Can we love one another? We turn inward. Let's flip on a little further in, in Matthew's gospel as we conclude. Last week I talked a little bit about how Jesus learned things in the wilderness that prepared him for his ministry. Right? What he learned In the wilderness, he then taught to his disciples and he lived out in his public ministry. Matthew chapter 12, 38 and following. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater Then Solomon is here. This happens in a number of places throughout the Gospels. Jesus will often have been doing, and that's the case here. He was already doing miraculous signs. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. He was doing all sorts of amazing things. And then these Pharisees come and they say, we want to see you do a sign. And Jesus just rebukes them. But he's shown miraculous signs already. Asking for one more miraculous sign isn't going to really help their faith. They're not asking this from a place of faith. They don't actually want to believe anyhow. And Jesus knows that. And as Jesus pointed out in, again, his going back to the Old Testament and to Israel's scriptures, God had already done so much to prove that he was trustworthy and people still didn't believe it. What difference was yet one more thing going to make? In other words, asking for a sign, though it might have been couched in in very faithful language, was again the exact opposite. Starting to sound kind of similar to Jesus' temptation. Jesus fought this kind of temptation in the wilderness that faith was going to be based on some sort of spectacular sign He saw through Satan's deception there in his temptation and he saw through this request. And so he wasn't going to go there when he was tempted in that way by humans either. And the interesting thing is that Matthew records that Jesus had to have this exact same conversation two times with the Pharisees and he sent them back to Jonah twice. I think this should tell us that this Is an issue with humans with us in our in our fallen state we always seem to think if we just had one more sign one more spectacular show of whatever it is we're looking for that that would make all the difference we have such a hard time trusting the confirmation that God has already given so as we close let's just come back to where we started the desire for for validation or affirmation or or this this need that we have for god to prove himself to us and often we want what we really want is for ourselves to be proved and we throw that back on god and so I wonder what is the ultimate affirmation, the the deepest one that we really need for God to say about us, the deepest thing that we're looking for. Well, Well, I'll tell you what it is. I think it's the same affirmation that Jesus was given at his baptism. This is my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. That's that's the gospel, friends, that that through what Jesus has done for us, that affirmation that the Father said over him can be said over us too as his adopted sons and daughters. But let's first just break that down into three ways that I think this temptation plays out. You might find your yourself in one of these three areas more than another but the answer to all of them is the same so some of us might be might hear that this is my beloved son and then we say well then you need to prove it God some of us might hear that affirmation this is my beloved son or beloved daughter and then our temptation is to say well then I have to prove it to God I have to prove that I'm that I'm worthy of that. Some of us might hear the affirmation, this is my beloved son or beloved daughter, and go right to, well, then I need to prove that before others. These things are probably present in us in varying degrees, all three of them, but it doesn't really matter because the answer to all three of those is the same. Think about the sign that Jesus told the Pharisees about when they asked. The sign he told them about was the sign of Jonah. And that's, that's what this is all about in, in kind of a roundabout way, right? The sign of Jonah was a sign, a prediction that Jesus was going to go to his death. And then, of course, rise in victory as, as Jonah went went down to the depths swallowed up by the fish, and then spit back out on land, and then he went and testified to the people of Nineveh, Jesus was predicting what he was going to do. He was going to go down to death, and then he was going to rise as well. If he's willing to do that for us, then we don't need other validation. We don't need something beyond that to prove that God really loves us and that He's really trustworthy. We don't need anything else to prove that we are really God's children. If you've, if you've been around here uh, any any length of time, you've probably heard me say something along these lines. Our, our worst problems are frequently not the things that we think they are. I know. There's, there's a lot of fear right now. There's, there's a sickness going around that a lot of people are very concerned about. We could be in for a pretty rough time with this. We, we just don't know a lot at this point. We know some things that we can do, and, and hence we're doing them. Hence I'm sitting in my comfy chair with a cup of tea preaching to you instead of having everyone gathered together. But whatever happens, the, the sickness, the, the panic over it, the economic and social implications and fallout that there might be that I know I've I've been concerned about those. Many people are concerned about those. Many people are already figuring out, okay, what are we gonna do? What do we try? What if this happens? What if that happens? But those things and whatever else we'll face after this, there'll be something. After this passes, there'll be something else. That's hard and challenging. That's how things go. But whatever problems we face, those are not actually our deepest problems. Our worst problem was that we were sinners, alienated from God. Strangers to his love. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, the Bible tells us. Jesus has already solved that one by dying for our sins, by rising again in victory. He died for us. He rose for us. He's now interceding for us. He's coming again for us. That solves the worst problems that we have. We're children of God because Jesus did those things for us. And because Jesus did those things for us, we can hear The same affirmation that he did from the Father. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. In whom I am well pleased. He's already done everything that needed to be done for us to solve our worst problems. If if those problems are solved, everything else can fall into place after that. So if if at some point in this day or in this week, you start to question whether God has just abandoned us, whether things are just spinning out of control, whether we should really keep on trusting God, whether he really loves us, whether we can love him, let's remember that he has already proved that he's trustworthy. And let's, as, as much as we can, Maybe it's going to mean once you're done watching this, turn off Facebook for the rest of the day and and rest in this truth. Rest in the truth that God loves you, that you are his child, that he is trustworthy, that we can hold fast to him in love, as that psalm talked about, and that because we can hold fast to him in love, we can love one another as well. And let's not panic like the Israelites did in the desert. Let's not panic like so many people around us are doing today. Let's continue to trust that God is still acting and will continue to act in his own time. And let's continue to trust that he's done all that's necessary to make us his children and that nothing can change that. us pray. Our loving God, we thank you that your word reminds us in a number of places that we've looked at today that you're trustworthy. You reminded your people Israel that you were trustworthy because you brought them out of Egypt in power and you saved them and made a people for yourself. And, And your servant Moses reminded the next generation to never forget that, because he knew what would happen if they did. And it's the same for your people now, Lord. You have already saved us by acting powerfully and decisively in the ministry, the life, the death, the resurrection, and and we look forward to the coming again of Jesus. You've already made us your children. You've already proved that you're trustworthy. Today, I pray for myself, for a congregation, for anyone else that might be listening to these words, that you will, by your Spirit, give them rest in that truth, that they will be able to trust that, believe that, rest in that, and live that in new and powerful ways today. Lord, we we don't know what the future holds exactly but we know you are good. We know we can trust you. We know we are your children. And we know that that's most important. You've already dealt with our most serious problems. And if we can trust you in that, we can trust you in whatever we face in this life. So we pray that your spirit will rest upon us. You will go with us in this day. We see you at work in these times that your love will enable us to be brave, to love our neighbors, to remain calm, and to be lights for you in this world. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Just wanted to say that we'll be, we'll be making a few more updates here on Facebook. I hope to be able to check in Regularly, we'll have some other updates about what's going on. Just as as Briarcrest figures things out, um, being such close partners with the school, uh, there's implications for us too. Um, As I said at the beginning, uh, hopefully we can find some ways to use the technology that we have uh, for good things to bring people together, even when we can't be together uh, physically and in person. So keep, keep checking back here. Uh, we'll be posting some more messages, some more information. Um, even if we can't see one another in person, I, I just want to say on behalf of, of our church staff, uh, Pastor Heather and, and, and Grace and, and Jesse, Angela uh, on our church board and the other uh, leaders within our church, that we're, we're still here with you and for you, Uh, There might be some limits, of course, on on what we can do in person, uh, but we want to keep you informed. We want you to know that we care for you and uh, keep checking in. And we love you all, and God loves you too. And uh, until until this is past and things are back to normal, um, keep trusting him. Amen.